If you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue through our walk of Acts, and we're going to pick up in chapter 2, going through 1 through 12. And I want to give a just a, a gentle and loving warning to those of you who did not grow up Baptist. Congratulations. Um, but I also want to let you know that we are going to be moving into a kind of a doctrinal area, especially within the sign gifts, spirit gifts. And I want you to know with love and humility, but without apology, I will be teaching um, my position on these areas. And I will do so with conviction, and, um, but with love and humility. So if you disagree with me on these issues, please understand the Spirit will review to you, reveal to you soon that I am right. All right? But in the event that he does not, that does not make you my enemy. It just makes you wrong. All right? I'm joking. But we will be going through this. And uh, so I hope that uh, we can do this, have areas of disagreement, but yet still have fellowship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what the Scripture says in chapter 2 as we look at the birthday, the birth of the church. Now, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind that filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributed themselves and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit had given them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Meaning, aren't all these people speaking articulately in many different languages? Just a bunch of country bumpkins that are uneducated? They were amazed. How is it that each here in their own language to which they were born? Here we go. I'm going to try and pronounce these correctly. And it will not happen unless I am given the gift of tongues here. Parathians and Medes and Alamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and I'll just slaughter it. Kapakatia Pasia, Pontus and Asia and Phagia and Pamphyloth, Egypt and in districts of Libya and Cyrene and visitors of Rome. I got Rome right. And Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabs. We hear our own language and tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement. Great perplexity saying to one another, what does this mean? That's the question. That's the question. What does this mean? Others began mocking and saying, these guys are drunk. They are full of new and sweet wine. So with that being said, let's answer the question, what does this mean? But before we do so, let's go before the Lord in a word of prayer and ask that our Holy Spirit be our primary teacher. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Thank You for His daily ministry in our lives. 
Thank you that upon salvation we have the one-time gift of being baptized in the Spirit. And thank you that you are intimately involved in our lives that daily, through your word, through acts of obedience, we are filled with your Spirit. Father, fill us with your Spirit. Not simply because it's something we desire and we don't want to work for and it just falls into our laps. Father, fill us with your Spirit through our desire to obey you, you said in your word that no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And we are your friends if we do what you command. And Father, your command is that we would repent, turn towards your Father for the forgiveness of sins. May it be said of us that we have obeyed. Father, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that that I would disappear, that you would erase me and that people would just hear your word. Father, may we never dig in so deeply into what we want to be true that we find ourselves in a place where we can no longer learn or grow. Father, I pray that you alone would be glorified. And I pray this and I ask this in your son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning... Say, amen. Amen. You guys remember birthdays as a kid? How many here remember birthdays as a kid? All right, we all had different ones. How many here remember the excitement you had when you were 16 of age-ish or younger? All right, when finally it was your birthday. Tell me about your birthdays just a little bit. How did you feel? What gifts do you remember that were so exciting? Let's just stick with the first one. How did you feel? And, and talk to me when, when it finally became your birthday when you were a child. How did you feel? Exciting. Thank you. This is, is this a tough question, folks? All right. All right. Wake up here. So you felt excited. How else do you feel? Happy. Special. Empowered. <laughs> anticipation important now that how many here are a little bit older in age and really do not want to celebrate another birthday anyone at all preach it yes it's like a couple years ago my wife's like how does it feel to be 46 and i went i'm 44 she's like no you're 46 and i'm like oh my goodness two years my back began to hurt i don't even know why Yeah, I don't know about you, but I really could care less about my birthday anymore. You know, growing up, Amy and I had very different cultures surrounding our birthdays. I had what you would call a birthday moment. It was a birthday moment. My mom would allow me to pick the dinner that she would make in the house, that we would not go to a restaurant. I got to pick the dinner that she would make for my birthday, and then I would be given a gift that my parents thought I needed. How many here ever got gifts like that from your parents? You know, a new shirt, ha <laughs> ha, you know, or a pants, or one year I got a gnome. My mom had taken some craft or art thing when I was a kid, and I got a gnome that she painted. still in her house today. I get angry when I see it. (laughs) Growing up, Amy had more of a, first of all, let me just stop. How many here can relate to the fact that you got a birthday moment? Anyone at all? All right. Amy 
had uh, a little bit more different uh, experience growing up. She had what was called a birthday season of the year. (laughs) It started about a month out. All her relatives would gather around her and head to Pride Rock, where they would present her to the universe. All of them would perform an interpretive dance by which all the regions of the world were knowing that the day cometh nigh. This momentum and excitement built until finally the week of her birthday arrived. It was then that each day would be commemorated with ever-increasing gifts until finally it was Amy's birthday and her parents would legally register the stars in the sky in her namesake. Even now, when you look up to the heavens, 19 of those stars in the sky are named after Amy. And on that night in Westchester, Pennsylvania, as the embers of Amy's party slowly died and plans began for her next birthday, which was now only three months away, there was, there was a humble boy in Hudsonville, Michigan. With a gnome behind him in the dark. Eating the leftovers of cold chicken, chicken and dumplings that he was allowed at his request. And under the candlelight of that evening, for he was not allowed electricity. <laughs> trying on a pair of corduroy pants that suspiciously looked like his older brother's wore just a week ago. Now you may say, Pastor, who is this young lad that we might weep for his story? Alas, it is I. (laughs) Now you may say, this is ridiculous. You are lying. And I'm here to tell you I'm not lying. I am just exceptionally and exceedingly exaggerating the truth. (laughs) Now the reason I have fun with this is to draw our attention to the birthday of the church. Man, was it exciting. Oh, was it exciting. And the gifts, the gifts were unbelievable. But as time goes by, birthday doesn't seem quite as exciting. The gift barely noticed. The last 10 days, the prenatal church has been waiting. The prenatal church, let's go ahead and click that. The last 10 days, the prenatal church has been waiting for the gift that God has promised. The Holy Spirit to empower, aid, and guide His people. It was on this day that the church as we know it is born. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. But just like any birthday, the meaning over time can get lost and the gifts no longer used or even valued. So let's step back in time and look at uh, what our original birthday looked like. What gifts were given. And where are they today? Because spiritually and historically speaking, this is the birthday of Trinity Baptist Church that started so long ago. And we find this in verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each other, on one of each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the Agia Numatas of the Horanus, and began to speak in other tongues. I just spoke in tongues, that was Greek, all right? But we didn't have an interpreter. Wait, John, you're here, right? You interpret Greek. Ha! All right, now 
filled with one, tongues, and the Spirit was, as the Spirit was giving them utterances. When the day of Pentecost comes. Pentecost simply means 50th. All right? It was a Jewish feast that happened 50 days after the day of Passover. It was often called, then they would measure it by the, the week of weeks. A week of weeks, seven times seven, 49, day after Passover, was 50th, all right? As we mentioned last, uh, last week, this group of diverse people of 120 men and women in the upper room were of one mind and one heart because they devo- devoted themselves to prayer and through the study of the Old Testament scriptures. Last week we talked about what would happen to our church if we all devoted ourselves to prayer before we even showed up to our corporate meeting of worship. Did you pray here? Did you pray before you come? Did you say, Lord, help me to be a blessing, that person that annoys me, or that person that's different from me, or that person that has a different position? Help me to love them and get along with them for your greater glory. Now, because this is 50 days over Passover, which happened in early spring, this would put this feast around the month of June, right in the middle of June. It was the best attended of all the feasts in Jerusalem because the traveling conditions within the nation of Israel were at their very best. We see this little nugget in the background study that shows itself in verse 5 when it says devout men from every nation under heaven were there because the travel conditions were so good. The weather was nice. Time was, it's kind of like, frankly, I'm surprised we're this full this, this, this week because what is tomorrow? Talk to me. Labor Day. And what do people do in Michigan when it's not freezing and slippery? Slippery. Just follow me, all right? When it's not freezing and slippery and the weather's nice and there's an extra day, what do we do? Talk to me. We, we go. We go away. We travel. That's this right here. All right? Now, it says this. And they were all together in one place. Now, it's important to note that there is no reason to limit this to only the 12 Matthias just added because of the interpretation of Psalms that Peter uh, erased that giant elephant in the room last week. We don't need to limit this to only the 12. What is happening here is happening to all, all of the men and all of the women, all right, 120 of them to be approximate. And we find that in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. The point here is that there is no difference between men and women. There is no difference between the rich or the poor when it comes to the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just for the spiritually elite. It is for all those who place their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen, church? We believe in the priesthood of believers. Now... Remember that uh, when, when we meet as a church, all right, we need to remember this because that woman sitting next to you and that man or that child or that senior saint is baptized once and for all with the Spirit as much as you and I, and we should be treating one another as equals in the Lord. Now, baptism of the Spirit is a one-time event upon salvation. It is not repeated. It is a one-time event. The filling of the Holy Spirit, however, goes up and down and is a daily thing depending on our obedience to Jesus Christ and His Word. That's where we talk about you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can, you can um, uh, um, be filled or be less filled based on your obedience. Now, that is not the indwelling, but the filling. 
we'll unpack that in later passages. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise that was like a violent wind. Now, wind is almost always associated with the power of God in the Bible. We find it in Exodus 30, 37 and, and John chapter 3 and many others. And they appeared to them as tongues as of fire distributing themselves. Fire is very often symbolized as the presence of God in the Bible. God was present in the burning bush. He was present when Israel was going through the wilderness like a pillar of fire. We are told in Hebrews that God is like a consuming fire. And so when you add wind and you add fire, what we see here is the presence and the power of God in this, 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 this verbal imagery. The power and the presence of God has filled this room that they have been waiting for obediently praying since Jesus ascended to heaven. Now, I want to make an observation here. Notice it says, like a violent wind or as a fire. The eyewitnesses of these events are at a loss to explain what they see. It is a supernatural event that they try to describe. You see, it's not that the wind was blowing and the shutters flew open and their robes are all over the place and they're going, what? What do you say? I can't hear you. It's not like that. But a sound that was, was like a violent wind. Now, think about, now that's important, alright? Now, I wouldn't die on this hill, but I think it is contextually accurate to hear a violent wind just rip through the city and this room, but, but not feel it at all. How many here might go, huh? That's a question. Okay, two of you, two of you would find that odd. The rest of you, that's just Monday, all right? Now, the closest they could think of is to describe it as the word wind. The fire may not have been literal either. In fact, I'm going to say it was not literal because anytime you have fire placed on top of you, things don't go well, all right? However, it looked like it, kind of like the burning bush that was not consumed. All right, was not consumed. The disciples are simply trying to describe the indescribable as best as they know how. But the images they see bring clear and meaningful imagery. The power and the presence of God based on these first century Jewish Old Testament theologians taught to interpret scriptures Christologically by Jesus himself understand what they are seeing here. The power and the presence of God is amongst them. It is loud and it is visible just like the burning bush that was consumed or a pillar of fire that did not die out, the presence of God was unmistakable in that room. And then it did something it had never done before in the history of God's dealing with people. It says this, and it rested on, on each of them. This is a huge sea change in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit of God rarely, rarely indwelled an individual. And when the Holy Spirit of God indwelled an individual, it was temporary. And for a very specific purpose. And then when the Holy Spirit accomplished His purpose, the Spirit of God would depart from that person. 
The Spirit and the presence of God within the Old Testament was almost always, with exceptions, very corporate. It was, it was in the presence corporately of Israel. Here, in the, here, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, becomes individual. It becomes personal. It's resting on every single man, woman in that room, 120 of them. It is resting individually on all of them. So this has a, a new significance here to the original readers that we must understand how they saw it and then bring it into our own lives. It rested every, this is a new significance. Now from Pentecost on, the Holy Spirit will have a permanent personal relationship with each believer upon salvation. This is rightly called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a one-time impartation of the sealing and indwelling of the deposit of the very presence of God as we wait for His return. We see this new and intimate relationship with God through the Holy Spirit reinforced with the very next words, and every single last one of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues in the spirit, as the Spirit was giving them utterances. And it is here that so much is not only misinterpreted in the church, but, but I think just as importantly, misapplied. You know, a lot of times we like to run up our Baptist hill and go, tongues! But there is a greater significance that we are missing in our sprint to academia. And that is application. What does this mean? That is actually a very good question. It is such a good question that the question has been there for 2,000 years. It's literally right in the text, in the next set of verses. So rather than get emotionally involved with our hopes and our desires and how we were raised, how about we allow ourselves some room to learn? Amen, church? Sometimes I tell people, don't dig your heels in so deep into issues and be so dogmatic about your discernible position that you don't allow yourself any room to learn or any room to grow. None of us have arrived. Amen? Now, as Baptists, we're knocking on the door. All right? I'm joking. How about we just let the text tell us what is going on here? Take a look at verses 5 through 12. 5 through 12 says this. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. It's June. It's great travel time. And when the sound occurred, what sound? We'll talk about that. The crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are, 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 why are not all these guys from the country bumpkin foothills of Nowhereville? That's... The Precious Moments Living Translation. All right? Galileans were disdained in Israel. Is there anything good that comes out of Nazareth? They were uneducated. Okay? If you were to put a state of our country in there, what state would you choose? I wouldn't choose it, but what state would you choose to, to, to rec- represent uneducated people? Anyone want to go out on that limb? Ohio. That's a very safe one. Right? They're from Columbus. California. Okay, listen. I'm not sensing the spirit here, all right? They're from Galilee. 
Might even say Caledonia. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. We have a lot of good people here from Caledonia. And we read to them daily. And how is it that each of them in our own language, which we were born in, then because I love you, I just put in long list of places. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great plexity, saying to one another, and there's the question. What does this mean? Next time we're together, Peter will tell them what it means. But we will set the stage preliminarily, if that's a word, what does this mean? So let's start there. What does this mean? We must remember that we are witnessing the birth of the church accomplished through the gift of giving of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 must be interpreted in light of Acts chapter 1, 4 through 8. It is not a a void of context. We don't get to run into Acts chapter 2 with our bags of emotion and say, I'm just going to take this right here and then sprint into the fields of ignorant Christianity. It must be interpreted within its context where the Lord instructs people to wait for His Holy Spirit. Thus, Acts chapter 2 must be interpreted as a special historical event. God is equipping His church with the power of the Holy Spirit, His Spirit, so that He will be glorified among the nations. With that in mind, let's unpack what is happening here and what does this mean? Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Remember, this is June right now in Israel. The streets are packed. The travel conditions are great. Where, where it, is, it is at its very best. And by far, it is the best attended feast in Jerusalem all year long. All right? So much so that we find built right into the text, devout men from every nation under heaven. Everyone can get there. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful time of the year. By the way, it's no accident that God waited 50 days. People from all over the world, specifically the diaspora Jews, the Jews that were dispersed from all over the world, are going to come at this time. And God will glorify himself when there is as eclectic of a group of Jews and proselytes and Gentiles who have converted that are all in one place. You might say our Lord has a strategy. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together. What sound drew the crowds? What sound? Some say it was a violent sound of wind. Others say it was the sound of 120 people speaking in tongues that drew the crowd. I say, you ready? It took me a long time. Why choose? Why choose? Both would have been quite a drawing card at this time. Imagine the city that does not speak your language nor your dialect. And you hear, but do not feel a mighty wind. And then your native language is being spoken in the midst of a sea of languages. You might just get out of your seat and say the words, what is going on? Now, in fact, not only what's going on, it says here, they are bewildered. Give me a word for bewildered. They're what? What's a synonym of that? Shocked. What's that? Perplexed. Blown away. What's that? Who said, you said befuddled. How old are you? No, I'm teasing. 
befuddled. It's an excellent word. Why? Why are they befuddled? Because, there are, because there's 120 people, and I want to say this respectfully, because there's 120 people speaking in static, unrecognizable noises? Because all 120 could roll their R's or chatter their T's really good? No. And I mean that respectfully. But no. In fact, it says right here, let's highlight it, because each one of the 120 was hearing them speak in their own what? Language. In a city that does not speak your language. In a city that does not speak their language. Since they had pilgrimed to Jerusalem in the month of June for Pentecost and the feast of a week of weeks, when all they have heard is really some sort of combogulation of Greek and Aramaic in the city of Jerusalem, that all of a sudden they hear their language. In fact, the word tongues here, found back in verse 4, is the Greek word glossias, which literally translated means language. In fact, it's, it's unpacked right there. Tongues means glossias, language. Follow it up into the red. The red says their own language, their own tongue here. So with humility and love, but without apology, this is not the gift of tongues that many churches today teach. Nor is it a learned behavior. Not only is the gift of tongues unlike how it is taught today, which I would say falsely, Not only is it not something you learn, it's not even something you pray for. They're not asking for it. Gift of tongues here. It is not a learned behavior. It is a supernatural gift to speak another human language that you previously did not know or study. Alright? None of them prayed to receive it. None of them learned it. In fact, it says here right in the text, as the Spirit was giving them Utterances. Tongues here in this text was not a gift you prayed for and it was not a gift that you learned. It was a gift given for a very specific purpose and it wasn't a static utterance. It was a language you never knew before. Why? Because it's Pentecost. All of the nations of the dispersed Jews are gathered together on the beautiful Labor Day of June. You understand what I'm saying there? And, And all of a sudden, 120 people can speak nearly 120 languages. How many here would say, miracle? So we're not looking at static, unrecognizable noises here. It would be, however, if Andrew Blount, where are you, Andrew? Where's my friend Andrew? It would be if he stood up immediately in our presence and spontaneously spoke Swahili perfectly. Do you speak Swahili? Okay, perfectly. And then my wife stands up and says, I know Swahili. Let me translate that for you. Maybe a better example would be this. If I could immediately and spontaneously speak proper English with perfect grammar, 
Yeah? An undeniable miracle, all right? Is what it would be. In fact, the gift of tongues in the Bible has always been the ability to spontaneously speak another foreign language that you have not known before. Why? We could, unpack, we could spend a lot of time here because that is a clear, confirmable miracle. It is a confirmable miracle. And by the way, the whole purpose of tongues, which was a confirmable miracle, Swahili out of nowhere, interpreted out of nowhere, it was, it, it was undeniable. But not only that, it had a specific purpose. And the purpose was, are you ready for this? To convince those who do not yet believe. It's for the lost. In fact, it says right in 1 Corinthians 14.21, So then tongues are a sign, there it is right up there, not for those who believe. It's not for the edification of the saints. It is for those who do not yet believe. Because if you're not a believer and you're sitting on the, the edge here and, and you're looking at something and all of a sudden he's speaking perfect Swahili and she is, she is interpreting perfect Swahili and my grammar is impeccable, holy smokes, and I mean that in context, that is a drawing card. Now, with that in mind, God's sign gifts, I want you to grab this, clear, confirmable, miracle. God's sign gifts throughout the New Testament, whether it be tongues, glossia, or the gift of healing, all right, in the early church could not be manufactured. How convincing is a gift that can be manufactured? It was a clear miracle. And the purpose of those miracles were to reach the lost. Primarily, the lost of Israel, and then the Gentiles. You see, the apostles did not heal people of mild arthritis of the ring finger. I'll let you just kind of grab that, all right? These men did not heal mild arthritis of the ring finger while making random noises. They raised the dead, They raised the dead and miraculously spoke in other languages that they had never spoken before. Wow! How many would go, that is a sign that truth is being spoken. Amen? Wow! Now, with love, with love and humility, speaking in ecstatic utterances with no interpreter is nowhere found in the Bible. Moreover, it is not a clear miracle. If I said with great passion, with great passion, I should have rode a Honda. And I'm not mocking here. If I were to say that and rolled my R's and chattered my T's, church, I want you to answer this question. Those of you who did not grow up in this church, I want to ask you this question. If I rolled out unrecognizable static utterances, is that a clear, verifiable miracle that cannot be manufactured? Is it a clear miracle? Talk to me. No. For the purpose of drawing unbelievers to Christ? No. Then we must ask ourselves, by what authority do we get this and for what purpose are we doing it? 
The gift of tongues in the Bible is not, nor has it ever been, in ecstatic utterances. Not here, nor in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians, if anyone speaks in glossia, it should be two or three at the most, and each one in turn. And there must be an interpreter. Must. If there is no one like Amy to interpret the Swahili, he must be silent in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. If a person in the early church were to speak in the gift of tongues in earthly foreign language that they did not previously know, only one at a time, and there must be someone present to, that knows the language and interprets it so that there might be an edification and encouragement of the lost to come to Christ, this criterion alone would invalidate most of what is called speaking in tongues today within the church assembly. However, let me make this clear, we should not limit the power of the Holy Spirit. If, if Jeff Petschauer stood up and started speaking perfect Aramaic, and Amy stood up and said, I spontaneously know how to speak Aramaic for the edification of the lost, that would be an undeniable, miraculous gift of the Spirit. And I would step back. So why do I bring this up? Because contrary to some churches teaching today, the evidence, here's why I bring this up. Why do we spend so much time in this? Because this is important. This is important. This is important. And then we're going to get into the application as to what does this mean? Contrary to what some churches to teach today, the evidence of salvation is not found in the spontaneous ability of speaking some unknown heavenly sounds. The evidence of salvation, I want you to grab this church, the evidence of the Holy Spirit and being baptized in His presence is not found in an ability to chatter. It is found in godly character. It is found in a transformed life. It is found in the fruit of the Spirit. The evidence of a church that is filled with the presence of God is not loud noises. It is a community of believers who dedicate themselves to living a life that brings glory to God. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. You will know my, my disciples by their what? Fruit and their love. Their transformed lives. This is made abundantly more clear clear. When the Jerusalem pilgrims say this, how is it, where is it, how, yeah, in the green here, how is it that each of us here in our own language in which we were born? Now let's, let us back up to our last chapter. What is the purpose of the church? The church is to be witnesses. Oh, this is where it comes all together. We're almost done. I'm almost to the bottom of page Four, and we only have four and a half pages, so tune in, because this is what it means. Let us not forget last chapter. What is the purpose of the church? The church is to be witnesses and proclaim the repentance of sins for the forgiveness of God. I.e., tongues are given to reach the lost as a sign. Look at what the church is doing the moment it is born. It is speaking in every language around the mighty deeds of God. The mighty deeds of God. Which here in this context 
is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ who is given a name above all other names by which every knee will bow. Amen? That is the witness and the mission of the church. In fact, we'll see it clearly when Peter is about to speak in verses 22 through 24. You're going to see the death, burial, and resurrection and the gospel of Jesus Christ just flowing out of his mouth. And guess what passage he will use to point to Christ? The Old Testament, the book of Joel. Oh, he was a good student. Oh, and by the way, this is a man who is going to lead 3,000 people to the repentance of sins that just 50 days ago swore to a servant girl he never knew Christ. All the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Now, so it is here. It is here. With all this study that we see the plan of God and His abundant grace. It is no accident that this all happened on Pentecost. The streets are filled with people from many languages and many nations. From, and I'm not going to read them, all of these people here. Alright? This is not an exhaustive list, by the way. It is a list that summarizes all that are present I want you to look at this map here. The Holy Spirit. Check out this map here. The Holy Spirit has given in an individual personal way, unlike ever before in the Old Testament. The gospel is being proclaimed in all the known languages of the earth. This is the exact opposite of the Tower of Babel. Where he scattered the, 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 the defiant, sinful will of man in his grace. He now is bringing them together. Oh, he's, he's trying, God is restoring us to the garden if we just put our faith in him. The Holy Spirit is given in a personal way. The gospel is being proclaimed to all the nations of the earth. And soon the feast, and here comes a question. I want you to give me an answer here. Soon Pentecost will come to an end. And what will all these people from different languages and cultures that you see up on their map, on the map, all of them will head back to what? Home. And what will they bring with them? Loud noises? No. The mighty deeds of God in their tongue. Accomplished in the gospel of Jesus Christ to which all of the Old Testament points to. And as they go home, these men and women will bring with them the seeds of the church to their community. Oh, the grace and the mercy of God. Truly, Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Oh, do you see it? It is here we must ask the words, what does this mean? Because while we run up our hill of academia, saying, look how much we know of foreign languages, we do, the question, the question isn't that. The question is, what are we to do with it? What does it mean? It means that the birth of the church and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not so that we can focus on ourselves or to make sure that all of the church's ministries are inward focused on our individual silos of demands. 
Such an inward focus is how the church dies and how our faith becomes self-serving. And while it is true that the church is for believers to be strengthened and equipped, to learn sound doctrine, to encourage and stir one another unto good works, which is the fruit of the Spirit, and have godly character, the evidence of salvation, we must never lose sight as to why we were born. We must never lose sight as to why we are born and given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is to proclaim the glory of God to those outside these walls. Oh, my friends, may we hear this today. The primary reason we are given the Holy Spirit is not so that we can hoard the kingdom of God to ourselves and gather in isolation and create layers of spiritual comfort, but rather so that we might be witnesses of the gospel to all who may be in earshot of our tongues glorifying God. Oh, may it be said of us here in Grand Rapids that Trinity shares the mighty works of God when we support the community kids in the inner city of Grand Rapids, may it be because what we have in Jesus is for all people. When our money and our members reach the orphanage in India, may it be because we want the children that are thrown away to be found in Christ. When our missionaries pump the gospel over the radio waves into closed countries, may it be that Jesus is discovered. And when we sing praises and study the Scriptures here. May it not be simply to satisfy our inward expectations, but rather to look outward to the nation. For the words, go into all the world, is not written to mission agencies. It is written to every man and woman baptized in the church. Amen? Let's go! We got a gift. We got a message. We got a purpose. Let's get out of our basement. Let's go. My friends, the mission of Jesus was to seek and save the lost. And when He ascended to heaven, He gave the church the very same mission. All of us have been given the cure of eternal damnation. Here's the question. How much of that cure have you given out? This is the great temptation of the church today. To become so inward focused that we fail to be what we were born to be. Witnesses of the gospel and the great and mighty works of Jesus Christ. So herein lies our closing question. Who have you shared the gospel with this week? This year? This decade? Or does church just exist to give you what you want? And if it doesn't give you what you want... Why would I go there? Let me be very clear here. That is evidence of no spirit. Who have you invited to church? Who have you invited into your home? Who have you invited into your life? Who have you shared your tongue with? My friends, we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. How often do you think of Him? Depend on Him? Is your daily life consciously dependent on the Holy Spirit? Would you have missed the Holy Spirit if He had withdrawn from you this week? Would you even have noticed? I leave you with something the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. 
probably one of the more charismatic moments, and I mean that in context, that an old-fashioned Baptist preacher could have. The Lord said to me very clearly through His Word, Brett, your salvation is not meant to be private. Your salvation is not meant to be personal. It is meant to be public. Church, let's be public about the gift we got when we were born. Gracious Heavenly Father, Your Word is so rich. I simply ask that you bless it. Bring forth fruit from your word and from your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.